gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room for Friday, March 7th, 2014. Today we're here to review an actual good movie coming out in the spring. It is that time of year where things that are worthwhile start coming out again because the Oscars are over. We're reviewing Enemy starring Jake Gyllenhaal and directed by Denis Villeneuve. I'm going to do that wrong. Someone correct me. But. It sounds better when you're just, it sounds like you're vomiting up French food. All right. Uh, maybe our guest, Devin Faraci, has a better way to pronounce Denis Villeneuve. What you got? I think Denis Villeneuve sounds about right. And I should know because I failed French in high school. <laughs> you are the best French expert we could come up with. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Devin, you are of badass diagnosis. We should probably note before we uh, make you start talking to us about Jake Gyllenhaal. And thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for having me on, guys. Devin, I don't actually know when you saw this movie. I know it's been making festival rounds. Have you seen it recently or was this like a I saw it last night. Oh, nice. Me too. And so did Patches. Yeah. Look at us go. Wow, it's um, very fresh for us. I know. Um, it's, it was at Toronto at the same time as Prisoners, which is a movie that these two made together before. Um, and Prisoners came out a while ago. This one is just coming out. It is a much stranger movie. I can kind of see why they held it to the spring, whereas they kind of did an Oscar-y push for Prisoners. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal plays two parts. He plays a guy named Adam and a guy named Anthony. One of them is a very mild-mannered-seeming history professor. One of them is an actor, although... Not a particularly successful actor, it seems, but he has a really nice apartment. I'd never really quite figured out that he He plays a Mountie in a movie in the background of Oh, a movie. I missed the part where he was a Mountie. I just saw that he was a bellhop. Oh, maybe he's a bellhop. I imagined a, a Mountie yeah, because they were in Canada. <laughs> Wait, really? You thought it was a Mountie? <laughs> he looks like a Mountie, the bellhop. Inside a hotel? I don't... Do they have... I mean, the police maybe, go to hotels, Maybe right? they have... So they're guarded by Mounties. I'm, I don't know a lot about Canada. I don't know how the rules work. Um, it's set in Toronto and specifically set in a part of Toronto that seems to be nothing but giant apartment complexes built in the 60s, which gives it this very odd look. Um, and uh, Jake, one Jake Gyllenhaal, Adam discovers the other one, the actor, that he looks exactly like him and basically seeks out to meet him. And uh, a series of strange things happen from there, some of which don't necessarily have to do with their realization. And there's a lot of mood setting. I kind of immediately thought of Blue Velvet and not just because Isabella Rossellini's in there, although I think that was intentional. Um, and I, I don't know really what qualifies for a spoiler in this movie, but really I just want to throw it right to Devin because I know what Patches thought of this and I have no idea what you thought of it. And I think there's some wildly varying opinions on this out there. So Devin, how did this all work for you? I thought it was a really effective um, example of the dangers of renting a Jake Gyllenhaal movie. Um, <laughs> right. Because... Uh, uh, because in the movie, Jake Gyllenhaal rents a movie where Jake Gyllenhaal's in it, and it kind of crumbles his entire life. Uh, yeah, and, and, and it's happened to all of us, really. It has happened to all of us. Uh, I don't know what to make of this movie. This is like one of those things, like where I try to pretend like I'm a really smart guy and like I have a lot of really interesting film knowledge, and I walked out of this movie being like, I have no idea what to say. I just have no. <laughs> I am so stumped by this one. I enjoyed it. Um, I think it's really well-made and interesting. Uh, for about three quarters of the run, I was like, oh, I think I am with the sub-metaphor aspect of all our meaning. And then it comes to the end, and I'm like, oh, I, I guess not. I have no <laughs> idea yeah, what final, any of this was about. The final shot in particular is a really good way to uh, turn yourself around. 
Um, yeah, it's really, it's a strange movie. It is a movie, um, that's unsettling. It's atmospheric. It's really well done. Uh, Jill is really great. I, I like that Jill Hall is able to create both characters very simply. I mean, like you, you can tell which one you're looking at. It's never a question, uh, even when they're impersonating each other. Um, but what it actually all means, I have, I have honestly no idea. Um, and I, I, I hate being caught flat footed like that. Do you feel like, so I respect the movie for getting the better of me. <laughs> but you're not frustrated by it. You're not mad at it. No, because I think that it's the kind of thing that it's exciting to me when a movie does this to me, uh, that I don't walk out and have an immediate theory or an immediate so, quote unquote solution or whatever. It's exciting because it allows it to sort of bounce around in my head for a little while and then to talk to other people about it and hear what they have to say. Um, it, it, it creates a more interactive experience with, with the movie. Uh, so it's cool. Um, yeah. It's just, however, this is, this is one that almost nobody's ever going to see. So it's hard to find people to, <laughs> oh, you think so? You don't think Jake Gyllenhaal is a is a draw for people? That's more people might find this movie than uh, the average mind bending indie. I have no idea how to describe this movie and why it won't I mean, find an audience. It's going to put on twenty screens, right? I mean, it's all, it's currently it's, it's on Direct out. TV. It should oh, be is it really? it's it's on opened, Direct TV right now. Yeah, for a month it opened <laughs> on Direct TV, which I don't know anyone who has, at least not here in New York, um, no. but maybe across the country. I think more people will see this than upstream color, but that's about there you, you know, go. That's my bar for mind bending indies. Um, all Patrick, the all the followers see- of JakeGyllenhaal.net will definitely <laughs> see this. Patches, <laughs> um, you seem to in the last like since we last I know. It, seem to be developing a lot of theories about what this movie actually means. That well, seems to uh, concern you. First off, I want to say that while considering Enemy and both the the like um, plot things that happen, the emotional thematic. Uh, arcs of this film i've been i've been uh, in tandem mulling over an article that our colleague matt singer wrote on the dissolve not too long ago called um it's something like the misguided detective work of the csi he, he refers to us as the cinema scene investigators not us but these people who obsess over all these little details and want to know the answers behind films and try and come up with these crazy theories about their, what they're really about. I think we're going through the same thing with True Detective. Um, despite some answers staring us clearly in the face, we, we, we need more. We want to have these crazy theories. And I wonder if Enemy begs us to, to delve into it like that without actually having substance. I don't know. Um, certainly, you know, the opening scene of Enemy is very befuddling. Um, we kind of open on one version of Jake Gyllenhaal um, attending this kind of eyes wide shut secret society sex meeting. And I'm pretty sure we see a pregnant woman in there. I don't think she's in a different room. I'm pretty sure this pregnant woman is in the I, room I think she's with in a different room. I think it's a flash to his wife. Yeah, that's, that's what, I, that's what I was wondering, but I couldn't tell if it was in the same space. Okay, so, okay, he flashes to, um, this is, this turns out to be the actor that we see, um, and his wife is pregnant. And then we come back to the sex scene. There's like a, a spider that's revealed on a, on a silver platter. And this is very disconnected from the rest of the film. There's a few mentions I recall this, um, but you know what does this have to do with things? And obviously, this moment is floating through the movie. We're trying to tie back to it over and over again. And maybe Devin, this is the reason. Like me, I, I just was always like, "What the hell does this all have to do with the Jake Gyllenhaal finding Jake Gyllenhaal narrative?" Um, and yeah, I, it's tough. <laughs> it's tough because the question is, how much of this stuff is 
a narrative or narrative clues or, or, or they, is, is there no narrative to worry about? I kind of in, felt in, in like, a larger sense. I kind of felt like didn't, I didn't care that much about how these pieces fit together or figuring out if they were in fact doubles or if they were birds of the thing. And I didn't worry about that much. I was just kind of waiting to see what all this symbolism built up to. And I felt kind of disappointed by what it brought us to, which I, I mean, I can let Patches talk about, talk more about his thoughts before I get into Well, yeah, I, I mean, we hope that this movie, this? we hope that this movie doesn't ride on the mystery, right? This should be something more than just answering the questions it seems to set up and in some ways it's an effective mood piece i think i was entertained the entire time even when i'm scratching my head trying to figure out exactly what i'm watching there's there's a lot of tension i love that the movie is shot in this like disgusting yellow cinematography i mean it looks like uh, andre serrano's piss christ but for 90 minutes. I mean, this movie is disgusting. Yeah. Um, and I, and for some reason that I just, I'm, that totally jazzes me. I love that. Um, and Jake Gyllenhaal is, you know, people were kind of praising him for prisoners as kind of like a standout in a, in a shitty movie. I didn't like him in prisoners. And I think he's much better here kind of not doing too much, you know, watching a lot of things, staring wide eyed and having a beard and hiding behind his beard. Um, and that is much more effective than trying to act as he does in prisoners. Um, so in that way, I kind of like, you know, this this noirish mystery, running around Toronto, trying to find these clues. What does this all mean? And in the end, I almost don't care what it means. I just enjoyed following them. And it fizzles out a little bit. I think it starts, has a lot of momentum uh, in the beginning and, and fizzles out. Um, and maybe that's because we don't, it's not clear. Like the answers in a, even a metaphorical way don't seem to make sense. But, but I do have a theory here. And maybe, maybe we need to hold <laughs> this for a second for like, spoiler territory because we don't know what the spoilers are but i mean katie did you enjoy the mood here it's funny when you set up this review you said oh finally we're in the season of good movies um but you hate this movie well i don't hate it <laughs> i just feel really thank god we're done with the oscars well, oh well shitty movies i don't hate this movie because it does a really good job of establishing mood and i think it's obviously well made and like you're saying jake Gyllenhaal is giving a pair of interesting performances i don't think the characters he's given are written that interestingly it's kind of like the most obvious contrast you can think of like the bookish professor versus the suave actor and you've got them you know you're setting them up opposite each other and you're getting to this point where you have them meet and there are some really interesting scenes where the two of them meet and they act in really weird ways. And for some reason, the whole thing is really sinister from the beginning, even though I don't feel like anyone would act that way in real life. But I was kind of going around just kind of seeing why they seem to distrust each other. And I was, I also thought it was tense. I was with it the whole time. But the more it goes on and the more you have these scenes with Melanie Laurent just doing nothing like she's playing a part that literally anybody could play which i found really frustrating and even sarah uh sarah get on or sarah gadden whatever how you pronounce it um as a slightly more interesting character but also eventually meaning nothing like it seemed like the entire purpose of these two meeting each other and contrasting them with each other was seeing how they treated each other's wives and girlfriends like there just wasn't that interesting a contrast right. put together once these two meet and i couldn't figure out why so much energy is being expended and you know why they're going through the effort of setting up this secret sex club and all these weird details that just amount to basically another referendum on like why men want power and want to have sex with other women and it just it seemed really banal considering everything that it was putting together this, this might seem like a strange swerve but Devin, i would be really curious what you think about this i i kept thinking about um emily nussbaum of the new yorker wrote this kind of really um 
this takedown of True Detective for being this overly masculine show that only, I mean, it's playing with noir tropes and it's, and it's so masculine, it's disgraceful to women. And um, many of the, the people who would retaliate against that were saying, well, that's part of the story. And that's, that's what these characters are about. They can't see past how, you know, their, their tunnel vision. They can only see what they want, and what they want is sex, and they don't care about women. And that's why they're kind of cast aside in the show. Um, and Enemy ends up being a very, very similar to that. And many people would argue, well, we're just tired of that. So maybe the people who believe that... Uh, that that true detective is kind of sidelining women and not doing any favors to the pop culture. Uh, gender problems should probably avoid enemy. And I, Devin, I don't know where you stand on that, but I am curious. Yeah, I think it's interesting. So I, I was thinking this is another entry in the the current pop culture obsession of masculinity, and we're in, we're in a crisis of masculinity socially. You know what it means to be a man. Uh, what is acceptable for being a man. Uh, how you behave as a man now, how we how we relate to women. These are all things that are happening uh, minute by minute in the culture, and and this is being reflected in Enemy, it's being reflected in True Detective, and in other things. It's really key that there's a really specific scene in Enemy, and this is maybe I'm, I'm going to keep it like vague, so it's not a spoiler spoiler. But there's a fight uh, in a car uh, uh-huh. where he yells, uh, "I'm not a man! I'm not a man!" Yeah. Uh, it's, it's very key. And then what happens afterwards uh, is, I think, the key to the entire metaphor. Um, but uh, whether or not you're sick of that is the, is the question, whether or not that's boring to you. Um, and I understand how for some people it is boring. It's a little obvious now. I think we, 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 we've hit this note a lot in culture. Um, but I don't think that it's the I feel like it's the kind of thing where a lot of people are approaching the same issue and they started at the same time. I don't think it's like. Uh, we've been doing this forever. I think that there was a, a run to this concept in the last couple of years that a lot of artists who are going to be a little more sensitive have begun to sort of see this masculinity, this change in definitions of masculinity and begun to wonder how it impacts us. Um, so yeah, I, I can see how it's a little important. I think Emily Nussbaum's talk about True Detective is so profoundly off base um, and I think uh, highlights a problem of reviewing a TV show. Uh, which is that you are now making sweeping realizations about something halfway through it when it's a complete story. You, you wouldn't walk a movie 45 minutes and go, well, this is what this movie is. I wouldn't, I wouldn't listen to you. Um, and it's the same thing with that. But, uh, but separately, I, I, I do think that's what's happening. In the enemy is about male power. There's a, that, that, that crazy final shot comes directly after the character accepts a key that has so much meaning and he, he decides to use the key. And uh, that final shot is, is very tight into that. There's another shot uh, where there's a car windshield with a spider web pattern on it. Uh, that's the key to the metaphor of the spider in the movie. Yeah. Um, that's why I wonder if we're looking at, at a real narrative. Is this a fractured narrative that is telling us a sideways story of a relationship that ended in a truly horrific way? Or are these just other larger metaphors for relations between men and women? Um, because you, each of the two Jake Gyllenhaals approach women in very different ways. Do you find what this is bringing to that conversation about masculinity? And I mean, I agree with you that it's prevalent in pop culture and it can be known uh, well and not well. Do you find what this is bringing to that conversation interesting? Because where, where I kind of ran out of it was just where I felt like 
it was going over territory that felt really familiar and it didn't feel like it was bringing something new, unlike True Detective, which I do think is bringing something new. It's got interesting aspects to it um, in that both of these versions of Jake Gyllenhaal are both essentially defeated men. Um, there's not like one version of him that's more, there's one that's more alpha, but there's not one that's like really, really terrifically alpha. Um, and there's stuff to pick apart and to talk about in terms of which Gyllenhaal has a pregnant wife and which Gyllenhaal uh, just has a girlfriend and which one is a teacher and nurturer, which one is an actor who is very uh, internally motivated. Um, but yeah, I don't think that it, it, to me on first viewing, it did not seem to blaze anything exciting or brand new particularly. Uh, but also it's such a weird movie that I think it's the kind of film that <laughs> if I caught it again in three years, I might go, Oh, holy shit. Yeah, that is really fascinating. Now that I've seen it again and I've had time to digest it, wow, maybe that is actually profound. Um, I, I want to sound the spoiler gong here, so I can I can respond to that, but with details. So, Katie, spoiler gong sounded. We now have a spoiler gong, and it's going to sound. I'm wondering if this is. Now that I'm thinking about it and hearing us talk about it, I wonder if it's as much about masculinity as it is about our own ideals, the perfect world that we strive for, and how we are skewed by the media. So I have a friend who recently told me that she um, feels that she's watched so many movies in her life that she lives by a set of ideals that is shaped by movies, by the unrealistic worlds uh, in relationships, in what she f- defines as success, these sort of things. They're, they're defined by the impossible standards of picture-perfect movie worlds. And I thought a lot about that as I was mulling over Enemy, because obviously Jake Gyllenhaal, his, his Adam character, this teacher, who in the beginning of the film tells us, he's, he teaches a history class and is talking about dictators, um, restricting culture through repetition, right? Katie, what, what, what is that exact phrasing? He's talking about, like, the Coliseum well, games. and he, Well, yeah, they cut off access to culture and therefore restrict what their people can do. Right, so they're using different forms of entertainment to actually restrict culture and change people, which I find very interesting and I think is, is very important to this movie because Jake Gyllenhaal's Adam character does not watch movies and someone insists, oh, you gotta see this movie. This movie's so good. Go rent this movie right away. And when he does, when he takes the plunge into this movie, he sees himself. Now, is it real? He believes it is. Um, but I think this entire thing has to be one big dream, one big metaphor and that he sees himself and thus defines himself. So his other self is an actor he's got a pregnant girlfriend which means he's planting his seed he's being like the ultimate man or he and and um he's got the perfect life or whatever and he needs to somehow capture that guy and find hunt him down and find him and meld the lives and all these lives are blurred so it's not really that he's tracking it down it's like an internal thing he doesn't exist in the real world none of this does it's all a dream and that's why we start seeing the blurred lines. His mother at some point says, you like blueberries or, you know, you're, you're a failed actor. She, he's talking to the son that's not either of those things. Why? Because they're both the same. Well, I, you know, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in here. That, uh, there's two things that I would say is that one is that he's talking in the class about how dictators keep control. One is bread and circuses, um, but one is by uh, lowering education. And uh, Adam's a teacher. 
So I think that it becomes larger about issues of control uh, beyond that. But also Adam does go looking for Anthony, but it's Anthony who gets really aggressive about taking Adam's life. And he, he decides that he wants to uh, sleep with, I, can I, can I, what's, yeah. what are my language restrictions here? Oh, he wants to fuck Adam's girlfriend. He's and DTF. Fuck is the, the exact word. Yeah. He, yeah, he is DTF and he wants to fuck her. He creates a scenario where he pretends that he thinks that Adam slept with his wife so that he can go take Adam's girlfriend and, and sleep with her. So Anthony intrudes upon Adam's life. And then when Adam comes into Anthony's life, he's such a, 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 a and we can say a beta guy or, or a decent guy that he can't go through with it. But, but Anthony's wife knows it and likes this guy better. So I don't think that it's necessarily about that because, because it, it's Anthony intruding very much on, on, on Adam's life. Adam is confused and scared, but once they get into the hotel room and they see that they have the exact same scar, he's out. And then it's Anthony who pushes it forward from there. What do you think it means that um, Adam is not very interested? He's like not interested in his girlfriend, in Melanie Laurent, who is like this beautiful, engaging woman who entertains him when they're at home and well, goes to bed is, and says, come to bed. The, and he doesn't seem interested. This is the weird part about the movie. The movie says he's not interested and the movie says he's not that interesting. But in the beginning of the movie, there's a montage that should, means to show us how boring his life is. And it shows him having sex with her on at least two or three different nights in a row. And I'm like, that's pretty all right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but he's dead well inside done. doing it. He's this, not enjoying it. Yeah. But I, I guess, but it's one of those things where it's like it's kind of weird that like uh, I don't know um, because um, because we're we can probably under, understand that Anthony's not having sex with his with his wife anymore because she is six months pregnant. She's really pregnant. Yeah. Um, and didn't Munich didn't Munich less. teach us that you can do that or I don't know. You totally can. But he probably he's still <laughs> the kind of guy who probably isn't. Right. And he's the kind of guy we already know that he that he was cheating on his wife because she confronts him about are you seeing her again? Well, he's going to a weird sex club too. He's going to a weird sex club, right? Where he's maybe jerking off to a woman stepping on a big spider. So, um, which is weird, right? Uh, uh, <laughs> no. So, <laughs> so I think there's like a, there's, I don't know. There's all these things that are happening. I, I, I do think it's weird that they make a big deal out of the fact that Adam's life is so awful. Um, when it seemed all right to me, his mom likes him. Uh, he's got his own place. Um, his girlfriend likes to have sex with him. His classroom's uh, pretty nice looking. He's got a pretty okay class. I mean, it's boring when he's teaching, but that's uh, that really is up to him to change, isn't it? Um, well, it also seemed like repetitive in a way that just didn't seem like the way anybody else lives. Like he just his life is this routine, and it's kind of like a Dilbert cartoon when like real lives involve like plans and conversations. Even if it was a boring life, it felt like it really went out of the way to contrast these two in a way that made them feel less like real people again, until Jake Schmall's performance kind of brought them more into realism. Well, nobody in this movie acts like a real person. That's part of no. what is, is so interesting. The, the way that they react to discovering that they have doubles um, is so unrelatable. Why would they meet in a motel? Like, yes. Why would they meet in a public well, that's, place? That's why none of it can be real for me. None of this can, none of this, but like, what, no what side is, of it is, is real. It must all take place text? in a dream world. And there's another, there's another moment that would speak that every time, or Anthony lives in a, in a, he either lives in these buildings or lives across from them, but there's a twin set of buildings. These twin, these double buildings. Yeah. yeah. What is that? It can't be real. That is also evocative of whatever duality is happening here. So what? I don't see any of this being possible. I just I, I think 
I think it might be one of these, like, he was dead the whole time movies, because I think that he might have been leaving the hotel with his girlfriend and gotten into a fight and got into a car accident, and the spider web crack on the windshield creates the spider imagery that permeates the rest of the film. And it's about the two competing sides of this one man who uh, is in the final moments of his life confronting the fact that he was living a false life with this woman in a hotel, the breezy inn, an hour outside of town, while his true love and his wife is at home pregnant, uh, and all that she wants is just someone to be decent to her. Um, That's interesting that the woman he's cheating on is the girlfriend. Right, because really she, decides, she, she flips out that she, she sees when she sees his ring. Mm-hmm. So yeah. maybe that the Adam Gyllenhaal never right. existed or something. Right. What's really interesting is this is based on a book by Jose Saramago, and apparently I haven't read the book, but it has nothing to do with the movie. Yeah. <laughs> like, apparently the ending that the that very distinct ending. The spider imagery is apparently not in the book, which I and find the interesting. The ending of the book is really the book. The ending of the book is really it creates a, another double who comes into the story. It creates a cyclical, which the movie begins with the idea of the cyclical nature of, um, of, of history and how things are repeated first as uh, tragedy and farce. Uh, but it, 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 it still but ends do, with that idea. When he gets the key, we know he's going back to the sex club and this will somehow take start again. Don't you think? Or Right. Well, that's the thing is that he has now made this d- decision that makes him not a good guy. And so therefore she becomes the spider. Uh, when that, what the relationship of a woman, uh, a sexy naked woman with high heels stepping on a spider, what that relationship is to his wife becoming a spider, I'm not 100% sure. But I, I hate to go to the he was dead the whole time thing, but I think he was dead the whole time. <laughs> yeah, I, really, I, I never thought, I, I, never thought like that, uh, I never thought that the Anthony timeline, timeline's the wrong word, but that that story, the moment where he and Melanie Laurent are hooking up in the motel room, could actually be events prior to everything that we're seeing, which is very possible based on the fact that we know that he cheated before. I just, I just find this stuff so much less interesting than why we're being put through all of this. Like, I'm willing for none of this stuff to line up if it's telling me something that I find interesting. But, but it, that's where I get hung up on this. I don't feel like it's telling me anything interesting. So you're ultimately not, you're not, you're not a fan of this movie because it didn't click. But for me, I, there's something about those early scenes, about watching the movie, the, the speech he's giving his class that seems to kind of link up with this strange, repetitive nature that he can't escape or this um, perfect life that he's clawing towards, but really not, um, that he's totally misguided in his quest. Uh, but he, And they need to be beautiful women. I know that that was your complaint, that they're like amazing actresses, but all they're being utilized is for beautiful women. And this is another problem you know, uh, the the problem is is bigger than this movie, but it it has to be that way in order to tell the story right. he sets out to do. I mean, and you know, and maybe he's not dead all. Maybe it's just about the cyclical nature of relationships and how we get into a relationship it doesn't work, and then we move into the next one and then make the exact same mistake. We pick up that key again, yeah. even though uh, all, we're all Karl Marx in the end when it comes to dating. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it is, I mean, on some level it's true is that anybody who's been in a couple of relationships will begin to go, oh my God, I'm doing this thing again. I, and you, it's just part of who you are. Uh, so there's a, there's a cynical aspect of, 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 of the film saying that no matter what happens, you're going to be the guy in a relationship who picked up the key in your last relationship. You're going to pick up the key in the next one. Too. Yeah. Even though you think you're a different person. Yeah. Jake, that, I can Jake, see that. Jake Gyllenhaal finally right. got his um, eternal sunshine. Thank God. <laughs> Is that what we've all been it's waiting li- for? The Jake Gyllenhaal. It's a little less romantic. I would, yeah. I would say it's considerably less romantic. 
I would say. Especially so. because yeah. neither of these relationships seems to be all that worth fighting for or being I, part right. of. I'm still excited. I mean, I want to watch it again. I guess that's silly. And I, I just on a technical level, I like looking at it. I, the, the the score, this this like soundscape, which is all this kind of atmospheric stuff. I really thought was unsettling and and interesting. I don't know. I I kind of ate it up, even though I, I mean agree it, it this and prisoners stick both. the landing. This and Prisoners are both really good examples to me of atmosphere over any story or so. Is Denis Villeneuve is he a good director? I I can't. I think he's a maybe probably a better director than storyteller. Although that's like a weird distinction. Like I think he creates interesting worlds. I don't think what he does with them is remotely interesting. I was disappointed by both this and Prisoners. Devin, did you see Us on These? That's the movie. Yeah, I saw it. I saw it. I don't remember a ton about it, to be very honest. Um, it's good. Um, he's he's really interesting. I don't. I don't. I, don't, I have not yet um, fully clicked with anything he's done. Yeah, um, I think. I mean, I think he's. I think he's earned the attention that he's getting and like the gigs that he's getting. But yeah, they'll, they'll hire him to do some uh, Marvel movie or something. <laughs> He'll remake the Raid. Oh yeah, perfect. Oh, my God. <laughs> That might be good. I, I actually really appreciate this and Prisoners both are like steady camera movements, just very slow, methodical stuff. I'm, I feel overexposed to kind of like shaky cam and loose cinematography. There's something about having stuff God, like really this... composed and on track. And, you know, I like that. But could this otherwise be any more different than Prisoners? It's kind of crazy how Prisoners is so on the nose. Yeah. Um, with all this metaphor, it's so on the nose um, the, to the fact where the story about bad religious people, the the uh, detective, his name is Loki, and he's covered in magical symbols. And like, <laughs> yeah. it's like so on the nose. And then this movie is so obtuse. I, I know yeah. this is strange, um, but I know that the um, I know that the screenplay was written by a guy named Javier Golon, who I, I assume is Hispanic or, or of some Latin American descent, and Jose Sarmiento. Well, this is a this is a this is a Spanish co-production. Okay, uh, there's something about it that feels like foreign or has the sensibilities of, of Spanish film or Latin American film that just they have a different perspective. I think the script feels like it's coming from there. I don't I don't know how to describe that. You know, just the it's the way the, uh, the way that the orphanage works or something like that. You know, I don't. I don't yeah, it's the it's the beards. <laughs> well, architecture. I, yeah, surveys. The, the architecture, yeah. Um, wrap up question. I, I said at the top, this is the season for better movies. Do you guys think this is a smart movie? Is this something that people who don't want to see, I don't know, Peabody and Mr. Sherman ought to go see? Hey, fuck you. Peabody and Mr. Sherman, well, I can't defend that movie too much, but it's a, it's not bad. Uh, <laughs> Answer the question, Patches. I, I, I think it is. I mean, at least this is intriguing. This is provoking this discussion. Like Devin said, it's nice to be in a theater full of people who have no idea what they just watched because you get to talk about it. And and days from now, we might have true epiphany. You know, we've only seen – we've only been two days out from seeing this movie. Um, but I remember being – after seeing Upstream Color, which I don't think this is as profound or emotionally compelling as Upstream, but – even that, you know, that really 
knocked people over. People didn't know what to say after Upstream Color. But four days later, I was sitting in front of Devin at another screening at Sundance, and all we could talk about is the movie and just all these little things. And they were really provoking conversation, and I loved it for that reason. And I might love Enemy in the same way. I just want to talk about this movie with people. Well, I don't think I'm going to love Enemy as much as I love Upstream Color, because Upstream Color has an emotional hit that Enemy doesn't have. Um... But I do think that this is the thing. Enemies, enemies, a, a tough movie. Um, this is not like if your if your idea of something other than Peabody, Mister Sherman, is Little Miss Sunshine. This is not that. Um, <laughs> this is a pretty legit, arty movie. I think most that of our is, listeners are going to be down with Enemy <laughs> on some level. I don't know. True. I hope. I hope Little Miss Sunshine is not the go-to like indie. They're mostly dudes, so. <laughs> I like it. Wrong. That's not. It is. Yeah. It is. Um. It is definitely a difficult movie. It is a movie that really requires a lot out of you. And it's the kind of movie that you should not walk out of and say, "Well, this is how I feel about it." I think this is a movie that requires you to spend a little bit of time picking it apart. Yeah. Even My- though I, even though I was not as into it as I would have liked to have been, I am. I value the time having spent picking it apart, and I think it's worth. You know, challenging whatever might be your initial reaction to the whatever happens at the end of it. My, my biggest problem with Enemy, I got really distracted because like two-thirds of the way in, um, there's a guy standing behind Jake Gyllenhaal in one scene, uh, and he looks just like me. Love is the name. I think it was in honor of Peabody and Sherman, the best movie about um, the struggle of gay fatherhood against typical uh, straight marriages that I've seen this month. Um, What is the best movie dog? (laughs) (laughs) That is what all movie dogs are Yes, what is the best movie dog? Um, Devin, did you have a pick for best movie dog? Yeah, I do. Um, it's the uh, unnamed dog who is the title star of Samuel Fuller's White Dog. Ah. I've never seen this movie. Uh, White Dog is about a, a young woman, Christy McNichol, who um, hits a dog with her car and uh, takes it to the vet. And uh, the two uh, get a bond. They create a bond together. Uh, and then uh, one night, um, a guy breaks into her house, tries to attack her, and the dog, you know, stops the attacker, and it's pretty amazing. Uh, but then she realizes that the only reason why the dog attacked the intruder um, was because the previous owner of the dog had trained it to attack any black person. And so it is a racist dog. <laughs> and so she takes um, the dog to Paul Winfield to uh, train the dog to stop being racist. And it is a crazy movie about whether or not racism can be fixed or whether or not it is a animalist urge that will destroy us all. I, uh, and it's a late period Sam Fuller, and it's pretty nuts. I, when you said Sam Fuller and then Christy McNichol, I got deeply confused. I'm, I'm yeah, amazed that this exists. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's a great dog when he's around white people. But the second a black person shows up, he flips out. Did you wish you had a racist dog? Aw. 
Uh, do I, I wish I had racist dog? I, I mean, uh, personally, don't. No, I don't think so. I don't think I, I don't think I, it would be, I've always lived in cities, so it would be really um, inconvenient. Yeah, so you'd have to move to- <laughs> I've lived in multi-ethnic areas my whole life. It'd be yeah. super inconvenient. But when you move to Vermont, your racist dog will be just fine. And, uh, just wait till uh, the gentrification. When I move to Vermont, I won't have a, an anti-white dog. It's <laughs> just to be the most interesting person in my block. <laughs> just to have the community board call, call you in exactly. all the time. Uh, Patches was your pick um, from our listeners. Yes, I'm now realizing on on Tuesday I should have gone with Wendy and Lucy. Lucy. Oh God, what a good answer! Mm-hmm. I know. I never. I, I just that really just dawned on me. Um, but I'm actually going to go with uh, at Simon Person who said fly from Babe because a dog that licks tears off a pig in a wig must win. That just sounds like some sort of poetry. Um, Babe, I I should rewatch Babe. Is Babe a really good movie, or yeah. are we crazy nostalgic for Babe? I don't. I mean, it was up so for Best Picture, or something, really, right? It's a, it's a really good movie. I think Babe's a pretty good. Movie. It makes me cry. Yeah, and uh, the sequel is actually pretty great. Pig in the City. Yeah, Pig in the City. Yeah, it's 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 Freaky pretty happy like weirdly. Feet. George Miller. Yeah, it's pretty weirdly dark. Um, it's it's pretty interesting. Let's watch Babe. Katie, what's your yeah. answer? Um, I realized another thing I should have thought of that's more pretentious in film schooly, but Dog and Umberto D. Just mm-hmm. sad. And, you know, the animals of sad old men with sad dogs. That's a pretty good one. <laughs> um, I guess maybe in the, to continue sad old men with sad dogs, it's been Gordon picked Arthur the Dog from Beginners. And Beginners is not a movie that I like that much, but I thought, you know, 20, 2011 was a big year for dogs. I thought that that dog did better than Uggie. I'll say it. Wow. <laughs> um, you didn't like yeah. Beginners? I mean, I like Beginners fine. I, I really like the sweaters fine. in Beginners. Is that a good yeah. reason to like a movie? Did the dog wear a sweater? I can't even remember. Who cares? <laughs> I just remember they had roller skates on in a uh, hotel lobby, and that just seemed unsafe. Hey, that's a Melanie Laurent movie. It is. She's, uh, she does more in that, and she does an enemy. So I'm keeping the theme together. Um, that does it for today's Fighting in the War Room. We'll be back next week. Patches, you know what we're reviewing. You've been keeping track. Is it Nymphomaniac? I believe we're reviewing Nymphomaniac Part 1, which that may be a mistake. Day. Maybe we should try and do all two parts, but oh, we'll be talking about some Nymphomaniac. Okay. Probably my Nymphomaniac. That sounds terrifying. Lifestyle. <laughs> um, and we'll have a full episode as well. Uh, in the meantime, tell the people who you are, starting with our guest, Evan Faraci. Where can people find you online? Hi, I'm Devin Frost. You can find me at badassdigest.com and on Twitter at Devin, D-V-I-N-C-F. And I am Matt Patches, a rogue agent of the internet, writing on many a site and putting it on my personal site, mattpatches.com, and I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches. And I'm Katie Rich. You can find me at Vanity Fairs Hollywood or on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-A-C-H. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back talking to you next week. I love my dog as much as I love you. Though you may think my dog will always come through. <laughs>